Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. We've covered efforts to ensure that American elections are secure and that it's easy to vote and hard to cheat. But congressional Democrats are continuing their efforts to remove security provisions from election law and to give federal bureaucrats control of state and local election administration. And while H.R.1.S.1, legislation that would override essentially all state-level election administration regulations, has stalled in the Senate, House Democrats just passed their Plan B, H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, named for the late Democratic congressman and civil rights movement figure. Joining me to discuss the problems with the legislation and efforts to maintain election integrity provisions is Ken Blackwell. Chairman of the Council for National Policy Action and the Center for Election Integrity of the America First Policy Institute, who formerly served as Secretary of State of Ohio from 1999 until 2007. Uh, Ken, before we begin, if you could give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Council for National Policy Action and the Center for Election Integrity. Well, I was blessed to be the mayor of my hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I got started in politics uh, as a grunt worker for various campaigns, got elected to uh, city council, then became uh, the youngest mayor uh, in the history of the city uh, after its uh, reform movement in 1924. Uh, I moved on from uh, local government uh, to being uh, undersecretary at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development with Dad Kemp, uh, came back to Ohio, became treasurer of the state of Ohio, and then secretary of the state of Ohio. Uh, and so I've been involved in politics for, for decades now. And one of my early mentors was uh, General uh, Attorney General Ed Meese. Uh, he and Kemp uh, were uh, attached at the hip uh, Philosophically, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, uh, and 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 they nurtured me in, in an appreciation of uh, limited government, uh, optimal uh, individual liberty, uh, and uh, I I became one of their uh, one of their champions uh, out on the campaign uh, on the campaign trails and across the speaking circuits. Uh, Ed Meese was one of the founders of the. Uh, Council for National Policy, uh, and eventually uh, I worked my way up the ranks, got invited to be a member, and uh, have now uh, become vice uh, president of uh, CNP and chairman of CNP Action. Uh, I was a part of uh, the transition team for uh, President-elect Trump, uh, became very much uh, involved in setting the table for his domestic policy agenda over the course of his four years became very uh, uh, much uh, a, a traveler in the in the White House uh, working with uh, the the luminaries there to set the the policy agenda became good friends with uh, uh, better friends actually with uh, uh, Brooke Rollins who I had known from my work with the Texas Public Policy Council uh, and and when she took on this initiative, she asked me if I would uh, bring my my energy and expertise in the area of elections to uh, the America First uh, Policy Institute's Center for Election Integrity. Uh, cool. Um, so 
We have uh, on 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 this podcast, we've discussed HR four, this John Lewis Act, uh, with J. Christian Adams and Jason Sneed, two other, uh, I guess, election administration experts on the uh, in the, I guess, conservative movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those for our listeners who might not have have gotten those episodes or who might uh, uh, might not remember some of the specifics, what what are the specifics of HR four? What what is it? What would it do? Let me let me set the uh, let me set the table. Uh, mm-hmm. The foundation of the American system of self government governance is is liberty, and uh, the core expression of the people's liberty is in the ability to vote in free and fair elections. So safeguarding the integrity of our elections is paramount to the preservation of our republic. So. Uh, any attempt to uh, affect a federal takeover uh, of the election process and to impose a one-size-fits-all just uh, if, if I can if I can jump in briefly so so and please please correct me if it, if at any point I, I say something wrong right now election when when I when you go when I go vote or when you go vote or when our listeners go vote that's all administered either by the states or the municipalities depending depending on the state, right? Right. And the goal of all these congressional democratic initiatives, HR1, S1, the, the Lewis Act, is to bump that up to the federal level. That's right. And it, 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 so this would federalize uh, our, our, uh, our election process. Uh, and I think uh, undermine our core principles of self-governance and, and federalism. Uh, and so uh, this is a frontal attack uh, on uh, not only the state's rights, but I think the, the constitutional framework, which has in fact protected us against a central government uh, that is monopolistic uh, in the exercise of, of rules, rights, uh, and, uh, and 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 programs. So uh, I, that's 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 the that's the table that's that's set. HR four uh, would in fact uh, do away with local co- uh, uh, state and local control of elections, uh, and, and and in effect make uh, the not only the central government or federal government, but the uh, attorney general sort of the elections are so uh, yes and, yeah so instead of i i mean you were secretary of state of ohio mm-hmm. uh do correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding is in ohio that office is the chief administrator of elections yes that that is the chief administrator uh and the uh, policies and practices of elections in the state of ohio uh are established by the state legislature and then so what what HR four would do, and this is with that, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, this is with preclearance, instead of having that administrative function in the hands of an elected officer, uh, uh, like the Secretary of State in, in most in many states, not just Ohio, it's the Secretary of State, uh, it would put it in the hands of a presidential appointee. It would put it in the hands of the, of the Attorney General and the Justice Department. 
and so you would have federal bureaucrats uh, unaccountable to local uh, residents and, and voters uh, running, running the show. Uh, but I want to be clear that uh, in, in, within our constitutional framework, uh, it is not the Secretary of State, it is not the governor uh, that determines time, place, and manner of elections. It is the state legislature. Uh, and therefore, uh, the Secretary of State or the Chief Election Officer in all of our states uh, carry out uh, the, uh, the 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 plans, policies, and practices. Uh, right. it's, the, it's, the old, it, it, it's the old schoolhouse rock. The legislature passes the law, and then the executive officer, <laughs> responsible executive officer, enforces yeah. the law that the legislature has passed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so I, I, I was always cautious uh, in, 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 in talking about my responsibilities as an election administrator, not to give people the impression that I could, uh, on my personal whim, make a decision about uh, the place, manner, and, and time of elections. That was established uh, by folks who were directly elected uh, by people in, in, in uh, state representative uh, districts. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we've we we mentioned preclearance and the amount of power mm-hmm. that would would be uh, in the hands of the Justice Department and in the uh, and in the hands of the Attorney General. Uh, what state, you know, what states would be affected by that, um, and what effect would that preclearance have on? existing state voting rules regarding the manner the manner in which elections are conducted and have been conducted for a long time. Yeah, just to give a little history, I mean, in, in 1965, Congress had, uh, enacted the Voting Rights Act uh, to eliminate the vestiges of uh, Jim Crow laws that had deprived Black citizens uh, the right to vote for, for, for a century. Um, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act created a temporary system whereby all election procedures in certain states with a history of intentional discrimination against Black voters were were frozen in place as of 1965 and before any changes could be implemented. Those uh, had to be submitted to the federal government for for preclearance. Under HR4, this wouldn't just apply to uh, southern states who had a past practice of uh, discrimination, it would apply to all states. And what's so uh, ironic about this is that many of the southern states, if not all of the southern, uh, southern states, have, ref- have reformed their laws uh, and are in compliance with the best practices of uh chain of custody, voter verification, and ease of access uh, to the ballot box. Uh, what, what has been a focus of attention for perhaps the last 15 years is, is the, the duty of citizens to make sure that they take precautions to, to uh, eliminate the chance of any illegal ballots canceling out legal ballots. So that's where you know the popular saying now: easy to vote, hard to cheat. Uh, what you want to do is is to protect the integrity of the ballot box by protecting uh, 
by protecting legally cast ballots by by legally uh, registered and yeah. uh, voters. Yeah, it's to it's to make sure that the people who are registered to vote are citizens duly uh, duly permitted by law and entitled to the entitled to the franchise, and then that. Uh, you know, when they do cast a ballot, that that ballot is secured until it is counted for the purposes of tallying the votes. That's right. Um, now, obviously, of course, the supporters of H.R. 4 are pushing this notion that if they don't if it doesn't pass, if the uh, if the Senate does not lay aside, override uh, nuke in the in the parlance, the filibuster uh, that requires a, a larger majority for uh, most statute law uh, that ethnic minority Americans, especially black Americans, won't be able to vote. Um, how would you that, how do you respond that, that, to that? That's crazy on its on its face. Uh, elections are setting records for diversity and turnout. Two thirds of adult citizens voted in 2020. Uh, the most in 120 years. Nearly every state hit a record high in turnout. 17 and, and, million. And given and given the expansions of the franchise in those 120 years, I mean, you could probably argue that it was the highest turnout ever in terms of the citizen adult population. Oh, after 17 million more Americans voted in 2020 compared to 2016. A minority turnout rose significantly with African-American and Hispanic uh, voter turnout both increasing in 2020 uh, compared to 2016. So you, you, you now have a solution chasing and searching for a problem. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's, just, it's just crazy uh, on its face. This is nothing more uh, than, than, a, than a power grab. And while the uh, left uh, claims that the updated HR4 is a compromise bill. In reality, HR4 is even more extreme uh, and constitutionally suspect uh, in its partisan attempt to federalize elections. Mm. And then, so the organizations you're working with, the uh, Council for National Policy Action and Center for Election Integrity, uh, how are you guys pushing back against the uh, not just uh, the efforts at the federal level to pass HR four, but also, you know, we 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 had the uh, the, the attempted quorum bust by the uh, Democrats in the Texas House of Representatives over an election security bill. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the Justice Department has filed suits against Georgia and other states that have passed election integrity legislation. Uh, how, how are you guys pushing back against that? Well, we're, we're, one, we are we have a two, dual track uh, process. One, we're mobilizing uh, politically to just stop uh, and defeat uh, the passage of uh, HR four uh, and and its sister. Uh, uh, initiatives. Uh, mm -hmm. We are building capacity uh, and being very supportive of state legislatures uh, that are putting in place common sense reforms. Uh, and we are coordinating messaging to make sure that the voters, uh, the citizens, 
uh, understand that what's in play here is an attempt to make them not free-willed uh, citizens, but uh, docile subjects. Uh, and so by, by coordinating messaging, by mobilizing uh, folks at the, at the local level and building capacity for, I mean, let me just give you a for instance, Mm -hmm. uh, we, we just recently, in a coalition effort, had a major uh, training sessions for folks in Virginia to become uh, poll workers uh, and, and, and precinct executives. Uh, because in our present system, uh, that's where vote, the majority of, uh, of, of voters cast their, their ballots. Uh, and and so just that that training to make sure that we have every uh, precinct covered uh, with uh, two two sets of of eyes to make sure that there is transparency in the system uh, and a hands-on approach uh, by members of both parties. This is a Ohio is just one example, uh, and and I I saw this through. Uh, eight years of being the chief election officer is a very intense uh, human enterprise. Uh, and that means that you have to have people uh, on the job uh, for the entire process, uh, making sure that uh, that nothing takes place without uh, a, a bipartisan set of eyes looking at the process, uh, because that in the final analysis builds confidence. And so that's what we're. Yeah, I mean, I mean. My my favorite example of that, just from just as an outside observer, is the way they do it in Great Britain when they have their parliamentary elections and the, like all the candidates from the, you know, obviously from the Labour and the Tories, but also from all the little parties are all there. You know, all the campaign workers are all in the hall as Absolutely. the as the as the volunteers are sitting there, you know, stacking the papers and counting the counting the votes. Uh and then, you know, once they're done, you know, the uh, the appointed official goes up and says, you know, these are the votes for, you know, Huddlesworth and South Islip, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, oh, and, you know, it's like, you know, we maybe we can't do that here. But it, that, that whole principle of everybody's there in the room, seeing what's going on and knowing what's going on. Right. And, and because, you know, a, a simple saying is. If you're not in the room, you're not in the game, uh, and and that that's that's very important for people to understand. And and and, and even in developing uh, countries like Indonesia, I am the co-chairman of the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, which is funded primarily uh, by the United States Agency for um, <coughs> USAID. USA, USAID. Yeah. Yes. And um, we we don't do elections in the states, but we do elections uh, abroad. And, and a couple of years ago, I watched and, and, and helped uh, along with my colleagues, uh, the National Election Administration of Indonesia uh, conduct their their national elections. I was just fascinated with their community. They have a national election day. People cast their votes from seven to to a.m. to 1 uh, p.m. And then they, in fact, invite the community to watch the counting process <laughs> and ballot inspection 
And so it, it, it fits with the example that you just gave, that, that, that you build voter confidence when systems are transparent and open uh, and folks can kick the tires. Uh, and, 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 and that system uh, is, is, is what has, in fact, over, the, over time, uh, given people confidence in the results, even if they didn't like. Right. Even, even, if, even when even when they lose. You know, right. you, you don't hear, at least, you know, I, I haven't seen, you know, too often British elections, people saying that the votes were counted wrong because everybody was in the room when they were being counted. All right. I, I mean, another place that I, I, I uh, uh, worked uh, through uh, the uh, foundation was uh, was was uh, the Philippines. Let me just tell you, they, they have actually after they. Uh, validate the, the the count get folks to sign off they do something that i know they won't do in in, in the united states they burn the ballots <laughs> it's a big celebration they say okay uh we've, we've all signed off on it let's just burn the ballots we are we're such a litigious society that we would not burn the ballots because i am sure that there's always going to be some sort of legal challenge and fight you know, I mean, well, I, yeah. I, I heard a phrase in 2004. I said, I just hope that we keep the the margin of victory out of what I call the margin of litigation. And because mm -hmm. in, yep. in, in the U.S., we, we know that uh, tight elections will always be litigated. Yeah, I mean, you had two you had two congressional seats that were decided, you know, again, one by six votes, one mm -hmm. by a want to say less than 100 that you know in this last election that ended up you know being vacant for a month as they were going through all the litigation yeah yeah so but anyway i i, I think that we can build we can we can build confidence in the results if we do a couple of things and and and, and it's important again let me just say that 2020 was an extraordinary year if if you look at the last 100 years, look at some of these these hallmark uh, uh, occurrences. In, in 1918, we had the Spanish flu pandemic. In 1929, we had a major economic disruption. In 1968, we had waves of urban balance. Uh, in 1974, we had the impeachment process in the high gear. Well, in 2020. Just think about it. We had all of those things, <laughs> and you know, and then we then we had political operatives who have made millions of dollars off of this notion: never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, and so, what we saw was the loosening of the chain of custody uh, of of ballots. We saw um, the uh, the the expansion of of, of mail and ballot uh among I mean, we just we just had a story out of california in the recall election where uh you know they busted somebody with like <laughs> illegal guns and i think there might have been drugs involved i know oh, by the way there were 300 unmarked ballots <laughs> right oh absolutely so we, we we expanded there uh and 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 then on 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 top on top of that uh what we saw was uh the private dollars uh, being used in a very partisan way, even though they tried to 
uh, cover this mischief and this partisanship. Uh, in the final analysis, uh, particularly, yeah, this is uh, this is this is Mark this is Mark Zuckerberg in the Center for Tech right. and Civic Life. That's right, absolutely. Uh, and so, uh, state legislatures are not only within their right; uh, it is the right thing to do to reform the system. So you 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 find contradictions like you know this the the, the pulling out of the Major League Baseball All Star Game out of Georgia because of the claim and the charge that the Georgia reforms were throwback to, to Jim Crow. They moved the All-Star game to Denver, Colorado. You do a side-by-side -side comparison of the election laws and policies and practices in Colorado to the reforms in Georgia, guess who's are more restrictive? Colorado's. Yeah, you know, and that's before we bring into in it, we bring in the president of the United States' home state of Delaware. Oh, oh, absolutely. And then, <laughs> then you have, you, you, you know, you have, you know, woke corporations talking about the, the, the key uh, evidence uh, is the requirement for a photo ID. And this is what I found to be just crazy. You know, you, you, you had Major League Baseball. And I, I mean, effect, effective, effective next month in, in New York City, where Major League Baseball, I believe, is headquartered. Uh, you can't eat in a restaurant without a photo ID. <laughs> right. Well, look, yeah, the other the other thing about it is that I, I'm a shareholder of the Cincinnati Reds. If I left you uh, tickets at a will call window uh, for a baseball game to pick up those tickets, you had to show a okay, photo. They're going to want ID. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can, can you imagine us getting on an airplane uh, or trying to get on an airplane uh, by showing our utility bill? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, or, or go to go, you go to Coca-Cola is headquarters in Atlanta, and go to try to go see the CEO, and get past security. You know, uh, by by any other means than showing a photo ID. You know, so photo IDs are so ingrained, so commonplace in American culture that to say that that was a throwback to Jim Crowism is an is 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 an insult. And 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 people people are are, are pushing back and, and when we think it's it's our responsibility not only to flag these contradictions uh, but to and to 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 create a demand for common sense reforms that make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Ken Blackwell. Uh, you can see his work with the Center for Election Integrity at cei.americafirstpolicy.com. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>